Well, welcome. In this series of leading others, we're going to now talk about your team, so actually leading your team. And the first question I'd get you to rank yourself on is how much fun are you to work for? And so what's your fun factor? This comes from my husband who's big on the fun factor. So out of 10, how much fun are you to work with? And just put a number down there on a piece of paper. Would you rank yourself, you know, zero to three, no fun at all, three to five, five to eight, eight to 10? How much fun are you? And then next to what I want you to rank, how much fun are you to live with? Okay, so when you get home from working and leading those teams, how much fun are you around the home? Zero to two, three to five, five to eight, eight to 10. And so the first thing as we understand is to be accountable. Okay, now what's the ideal score? I mean, it's different for each person. I've worked in a team that I'd say is nine out of 10, fun out of, fun, 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 and we lost a lot of money. So the first year I worked in that team, we lost $46,000. And uh, it doesn't become fun when you're significance driven or competitive and you're getting in trouble all of the time. <laughs> and so for me, the fun factor kind of wore off at about month six or seven when I recognised the fact that we weren't getting any results and we were in trouble a lot of the time. And so for me, um, you know, fun factor of six or seven is ample. Um, I've met some people that need to have fun all of the time. I've met some people that don't know how to do fun. They've heard about it, they've read about it, but you know, it's just not part of their vocabulary, it's not part of who they be. And so it's just important to take ownership over, you know, who is the person, who's Captain Fun within your team, and should that be a directorship that you need to hand out, because that's not a strength of yours. And we used to have a director um, to inspire our teams to do better. We used to have a director of fun, and they were in charge of all the birthdays for the year, made sure that everybody felt special on their birthday, organised the um, kitty for the present, made sure that um, you know there were balloons there when they arrived, made sure they got their lunch break that they desired, they didn't have to do any chores that day. Um, what are you doing as you're leading your teams to create a fun atmosphere? Every month we had a, a get-together that, um, that was um, made sure that it was very, very teamy. So we were a team and we knew we were a team. Um, every quarter we would actually have a social event. And so even right from the beginning when I was leading these teams and 23 years old, 24 years old, leading people a lot older than I was, I understood the value and uh, the importance of making sure that people connected on a different level other than just business. And so, you know, when I was that age, what was appropriate, I guess, was, you know, lots of fun-filled weekends away and um, eating and going out very, very late at night. So lots of connecting with the, with the partners as well. So we made sure that we had lots of memories that would take us through um, at least six weeks that then we would be planning the next one and getting excited about that one. So it just added a different synergy level when we were leading our teams. It also enabled um, Kent to come in and get to know the teams on a personal level. And he was able to um, extract or draw out of people incredible amounts of information that I would never gain access to. <laughs> and so that's a strength of his. He connects very, very well with people on a social level. And therefore, you know, we'd get home and he'd be like, oh wow, she's unhappy here, or she's thinking of traveling, or you know, did, she, did you know that relationship's looking more serious and she may be moving, or, or whatever it is that was very, very relevant to helping that person 
achieve success for them that they might not necessarily bring up in an appraisal format um, with me in a business framework um, due to fear of, of not being promoted or, or for whatever reason. And so, you know, are you providing an environment that not only is effective but it's enjoyable that you're attracting team? You know, wouldn't it be great to get to the point where you had six, seven people on ice waiting to join your business to work for you because you're such a great leader? And certainly depending on how big your company is, you could have hundreds of people on that waiting list depending on how global your business is or how, how big your business is. And so once again it comes down to having this vision, a clarity of, of how you want to inspire your team, how you want to lead your team and how you're communicating with your team. So if we take you through some of the examples that really worked um, for Kent and I, obviously um, having leverage through team is the, is the point of having team. If you're not getting leverage through an individual team member, meaning you're not getting more for less, so more profit um, for less effort for yourself, if they're not providing um, an environment for your customer that's giving it leverage, you know, needing to come to you every single time with a question, uh, then there's training that's involved. So there's certain things that each team member require. And uh, certainly the first part is operational skill. So do they actually know how to do their job? Are they good with people? Have you done some basic profiling with your people so they understand that uh, they are unique and each of their customers are unique and we need to match and mirror toward the customer. And so therefore flexibility is what's the most important when we're dealing in business and working in teams of people that we all understand what are each other's motivations and drives and incentives and um, fears and all of those types of things that you have some education that you give your people to keep on upskilling them and keep them as a team. So that's an important element. The other things that really worked for me as I started to really define what kind of a leader that I wanted to be was to work with the people that were in the top 10%. Now, I think that you know this is a critical factor of success. If you are focused on the bottom 10%, then you're gonna get more of that type of behavior. Whereas for me, I just thought if I could ignore that behavior and just recognize and reward the behavior that I wanted, then it was very much like raising children. I mean, you praise in public what it is that you want to see. And so focusing on the top 10% and taking you know, my businesses through, um, through that process meant I kept on engaging and working with high achievers and top performers. But it was very, very important that there was brightness of future there for those people. And I see in so many businesses that I go in and coach that there is no brightness of future or career plan um, for their employees and so therefore they don't have the longevity or loyalty that they need to um, achieve their mission in their, in their business. And so when you're leading team, just enable them to be able to have that brightness of future of what it is that they're wanting to achieve and obviously then as a couple in business, making sure that you're aligned with each of those individuals and you accept that that's going to be what it's going to be. Um, I think in five years with 74 teams or 75 team combinations, it was tiring 
to do the recruitment and training process again and again and again. However, that was never going to change in the industry that I was in. And so there needed to become an acceptance and kind of not as emotional as what it, it was in the first two years of fear-driven or, or resentment or anger or, or whatever when people resigned, but actually understanding that, look, you will resign and the best way to resign is this way, to give us this much notice so that this is what we can do to all achieve our goals. And so we used to have people in advance tell us, you know, 90 to 120 days, this is where I'm thinking I'm heading career-wise, this is where I want to go to the next level. And they would be encouraged out of those roles to exit, to achieve and, and go chase their dreams. But also, often they would recruit for themselves their replacement because they knew that it was a safe environment to grow to the next level. And so getting around <clears throat> that recruitment issue was a huge thing, is that we had people on ice saying, well, when the next person leaves, you know, I'd like to take their place. And therefore, every single person that was on that team of mine on a seat knew that they were valued because if they weren't valued, then there was another person waiting there that was willing to, um, to step up to the plate. And so when you're developing strong leadership patterning or, or teams, then it all has to start from induction. Okay, so how you induct your team into the team of what the expectation is for the role, what disciplines they need every single day, what's the format for moving them from where they are now to where they want to be within their career. And so a cyclical basis, is, is, it makes sense, doesn't it? So there might be a weekly meeting, a directorship that they need to be looking after or overseeing, um, so some standard roles and responsibilities within, their, within the team, um, a monthly social, a quarterly planning, um, and then a yearly conference, something like that. So when you're really working with team and inspiring team to move to the next level, you need plenty of opportunity for them to communicate where they see the potential or the opportunity to grow to the next level. I certainly found as a team leader then that um, not only was I moulding them, but they were moulding me. And so each new person who joined the team, I was a better leader. And so, you know, looking back, it was such an asset that five years to have those different combinations of team because now there wouldn't be, I don't think there's any individual that I can't meet that I wouldn't be able to, in my mind, um, pigeonhole in terms of their strengths, their character, where they can contribute the, the best within a team. And so I'm able to align very, very quickly with people and synergize with them to say, oh, I've worked with someone just like you and this is what she excelled at and this is what he was great at and this was their greatest contribution and then they went on and achieved this um, working with me. So it's, it's an acceptance of what is when you work with people trying to um, work out what their strengths are and then define their strengths in such a way that they see them as strengths and then capitalize on their strengths. And so often we're trying to balance our strengths and weaknesses and, you know, educate and upskill people on their weaknesses. Whereas if you've got short, sharp goals in 90 days and you can spend 75% of your time getting people into their flow of their strengths 
and 5% of your time just upskilling the weaknesses so that they you know can be sort of covered over the top of the cracks then um, what you'll find is incredible results very very quickly and people's belief go up people's self-confidence go up once their self-confidence goes up they're much more able to be able to learn in a fast-paced environment what their weaknesses were in the first place and so you know that's a real leadership key that I understood um, even just from myself you know if I have a strong self-image and somebody's um, you know prompting me that I can do whatever I want and I'm an empowered person then I'm willing to give anything a go as soon as I feel as if someone's honed in on a weakness of mine I get defensive I close down I don't have any fun and I don't really want to be in that environment anymore and I don't think I'm that unique I think I'm actually quite standard I think most people feel the same so when I was really thinking about this topic in terms of inspiring team, the other thing that really um, hit home to me that was a complete asset was some um, leadership training that I had on conflict resolution. And I found that, you know, in the beginning I think I tried to avoid conflict because I felt that if there was conflict then um, it would bring on more change and therefore it was better the devil I knew. Whereas after I had this conflict resolution training, it talked about if you picture a, a wheel and the spokes of the wheel heading out to issues. So you're going to keep on running across issues. And issues really stem from you know, the center or hub of that wheel, which are the primary core principles that might be violated. And so let's say a core principle might be integrity. And the issue, might be somebody saying they're going to do something and then they don't do it. Somebody turning up late for a team meeting. Um, somebody lying to a customer to you know, avoid um, getting in trouble. Um, somebody not um, completing their jobs when they were told that you know, that was the deadline that they needed to achieve it. So the issues that kept on coming up were easy to sweep under the carpet because we could justify them or, or make um, excuses for people for as long as we wanted but the underlying principle is what causes the emotional bank account to be lost and so when you're inspiring your team and leading your team if you can focus on the core principles when you're talking with people and leading them and educating them and get them to be highlighted I found that it actually um, it, it sort of dismissed all the issues in one go and uh, it was brilliant training and it was called egalitarianism which was based on a process of sharing power so instead of trying to come from a disciplinary stance it's saying you know I, ex I understand that your needs are as important as my needs okay so you need to acknowledge that people have needs and and they're they're very very important I also understand that I won't allow um, you to feel guilty if you say no and I won't feel guilty if I need to say no to a request so when we're sharing power then there can't be this power struggle over um, emotions or trying to you know um, manipulate or, or persuade using guilt and things like that so I found that this conflict resolution training really helped me to understand that when I was leading teams um, that it was very very important that we kept our communication uh, very tight 
um, and certainly if there was conflict that it was done in private but it was done directly to the person that it was affecting and we just eliminated any kind of gossip eliminated any kind of um, um, I guess it'd be called de-edification or whatever the word is that you understand it to be but if anybody would come and say something like a water cooler type comment it'd be brought up that wow you should bring that up in the in the whiffle in the meeting that's a great point yeah if you think that you should definitely talk to Kate about that um, and the appropriate channel was always directed back and everyone felt very strong within the team and I'm absolutely passionate about being a key to our success was this no gossiping policy and you know we've had examples of this you know all the way through our leadership style and and I must say Kent is so much better at this than I am because people will come to him and say oh do you want to hear this and he'll say no and he just flatly just won't even allow the gateway to be there um, because he's just simply not interested and so I think that um, you know, it's, I, I don't know whether that's an easier male trait or a female trait. Obviously, we're brought up with lots of words and to hear, oh, what's this person thinking or saying or doing or what have you. Um, but I certainly know from a leadership point of view that I know as soon as I hear something, automatically I turn it into looking at it from their shoes. And that can be very um, frustrating to someone who's more of a gossiper because I'll take it from the other angle and sort of shut that conversation down and so it gets frustrating for that person because there's nothing to bait with and so as a leader maybe that's the next best thing if you can't get the discipline to say no don't tell me um, then when somebody does tell you a bit of gossip say wow well, you should go and ask them if that's what they meant or maybe you need to sit with them and, and work out this way and point them back in the direction of where the issue comes from or alternatively say well wow do you think that's a mirror like where's that coming up for you is that an underlying principle or, or I tell you what it gets people very frustrated <laughs> but as you're leading you'll find that the short-term frustration will lead to long-term strength of character and that was a big big learning for me was that when I started to stand up for others who weren't present um, what I actually gained was a lot more loyal team because word gets around and so just recognize the fact that what goes around comes around and I've had a lot of situations where people have come to me and, and told me stories where people have defended my honor and I've not been there because they've said you know what I want you to stop saying that about that person they would never say anything about you and uh, you know that's just unfair you need to go and talk to her she's very fair she'll listen to you or send her an email those are the appropriate channels so you do get what you give so just understand that as you strengthen up in character then your leadership team that are the right people the top 10% will strengthen up in character also and, um, and for me, that's certainly been the asset of being surrounded by very strong characters who um, tell me immediately if there's been, you know, any gossip about me or something that's happened, they come straight directly to me and then I can handle it directly. I can decide whether or not I just want to let it pass. I can deal with it in terms of, you know, gaining more wisdom for myself, whether I need to change. I can get coaching around it. I can talk to a mentor. You know, I can deal with the underlying issues that come up because I've been told very quickly and effectively in a way that's non-gossipy. Okay, so that was a critical thing. 
I think the other thing that um, if you're going to inspire team and lead team that you need to identify with is to implement change fast. We used to have a meeting every Monday and you know from that meeting there were agenda items that would come out and we would pick two or three of those things and we'd action them within 48 hours. And that showed the team that not only were we adaptable and flexible, that we were open to change and we were listening. And so the seven or ten items that didn't get action straight away, that went into the funnel of we're going to decide what's the most appropriate or, or, or most important, um, then we were able to work with at the pace that we needed. But are you implementing change really, really quickly? Are you listening to your key leaders when they're telling you obvious things within your business that could be um, changed very, very simply? Or are you stuck in that ego state where you don't like change? Because as a leader, you know, wisdom will come and find you and you will eventually find the person that, uh, that will press those buttons. And so certainly for me, I understood it was easier to surrender quickly <laughs> and, to, uh, and to let people have their win. I mean, it's not always about being right as a leader. It's about allowing and saying, you know, what's, what's the big deal? Let that person win and, and say, you know what, you're right, I hear you, I absolutely appreciate what you said, I've never thought about it from that way, um, let's do that, can you champion that, let's make sure it's, it's done straight away. And it's amazing how people will step up to the plate and give you more feedback when you're willing to change fast. But I find that it does mean fast, like you can't say yes we're going to put that on the agenda and then two months later still not have changed because those team that are leaders will leave you because they'll recognise that it's all talk and no action and therefore that, that can raise issues as well. So who makes the decisions in your business? Um, is there a huge decision making process? I know that we used to have some clashes in terms of upper management when there was three partners and one would want to do something quite quickly and the other two would be hesitant. Um, you know, there, there could become challenges in that area. So have you got a system that works out, one, how you make decisions and how quickly you can implement change. And so definitely having that on the agenda for the week would be really, really important. Okay, the other thing that, um, that has worked really well is to get outside experts in to be able to fast track the leadership. And so whether or not it's your entire team that participates or whether you just choose the top 10%. But certainly for me, I know that um, in terms of outside coaching, I would always have experts that would come in and be able to assess the team from their independent observations. And so once again, I was making sure that I was staying fresh as a leader, but it was also showing integrity that I was willing to be coached as well as to coach others. And so whatever your industry is, how do you maintain your industry standards? How do you then excel from those industry standards up to the next level? What is it that you actually need to do or contribute to be able to show your team that um, you know you want to remain in that top 10% of that industry. Where are you within your industry means? Have you been mystery shopped? Do you know what standard your team are actually providing for their customers from an independent source? And then are you recognising the results of that survey? So we used to have um, an independent company come and do mystery shopping 
and the purpose of the mystery shop was definitely not to um, harass our team and make them paranoid that we were spying on them. The purpose of the mystery shop was to celebrate what actually went well within that sales process and to be able to understand that it is a process. And so by sharpening up the process, we could increase the conversion rate. By having a higher conversion rate, we increase our turnover. With more turnover comes more profit. Okay, so make sure we're tapping it into their end goal, which is for us to achieve our targets, our quarterly incentives, our celebration, whatever it is, then these mystery shops are here to serve us to make sure that we understand that there is a process to follow that gets the greatest result and therefore we are committed to following the process. And so we used to have little um, cheat sheets you know, that were laminated on the desk and there was a 10 step process that each consultant was encouraged to follow and the mystery shop would give marks on each of those 10 steps and so you'd get a percentage result at the bottom of the page. And so if your mystery shop came in and it was 60%, then we focused on the six of ten strengths that we had, but then we recognised the fact that, okay, in these areas, what other customers might you have spoken to in that day or that week that you can go back and be able to enhance the relationship by communicating in a, in a different way and tightening up that process. So we created opportunity. And that's the whole thing. You've always got to spin everything as a leader to, great, so what's our opportunity? Where can we move from here? What's been great about this? What about this discussion and how frustrated you were with this person? Now that you've fixed that, how great that there's some more energy here, what would you like to commit that energy to? What do you want? Okay, so when you're leading, you need to have the desired outcome really, really clear in their mind. What do you want? Don't tell me what you don't want. Come to me with solutions. I want to know what you do want and then how we can change fast to be able to get you there. And then the final one is really the quarterly planning. As a couple in business, it can get so hectic when we're going in opposite directions all quarter. Everybody's focused on their own things that um, sometimes we can realise after a year we're no longer aligned in terms of what success is or what the point of what we're doing is. That's certainly why we started to have our quarterly planning days through Leisure Seekers, was to enable couples to come together to be able to celebrate the success they've had as a team, to be able to sit down and, and review some new information that's up to date with what's actually happening you know, with other people's businesses, um, to celebrate the success that you have had and acknowledge that there has been some wins, and to reset the goalpost to say, okay, well, where do we want to be in this next quarter? Give yourself a really clear snapshot of what success is so that you can work towards that definition of success. You don't have to come to our planning days. You can do your own planning days with your team. But what are you actually doing to surround yourself with other successful couples to give yourself realistic expectations? And I have just found that um, through putting our clients together, the incredible synergy I could never have gained as just being a coach. I've been doing this now for seven years of, of putting people in the same room every quarter and the competitive factor, the contribution factor, um, the com community feeling within the room is unbeatable. And I've found that when I can't really shift a client, I know that at 90 day planning, if they sit next to the right person and ask the right question, they can absolutely find their way through. And so what environment are you placing yourself in as a leader 
that will allow you to be authentic and ask other leaders you know what are you doing with this situation or this is my challenge how would you overcome this challenge and so recognizing that it is a journey you know it isn't about the destination are you enjoying the team that you're currently leading you know are you getting the outcomes that you want to be getting and certainly do you understand where your boundaries are within those team you know are you are you excited about the time that you're investing to help grow and get their vision to be achieved and that's really the best testing measure you know if if when they achieve success if you don't feel 100% aligned and excited for them um, if there's jealousy there or if there's a, a resentment feeling or, or whatever it is then that needs to be looked at because to be an effective leader it needs to stem from abundance there needs to be a feeling that there's more than enough there's more than enough people to come work for your business there's more than enough people to achieve that role and therefore you can allow people to be as great as they need to be and so certainly that took a long time for me to understand that um, it wasn't all about me and and my goals and people were letting me down I needed to flick the switch and say how could I add massive value to anybody who chose to work with me I understand that my vision has nothing to do with individuals my vision is an organizational chart with a vision and a culture statement and a mission statement and the right team will turn up when they are needed and so getting that switched in my mind was a huge huge shift as a leader because I was able to communicate more effectively with people I was able to give them brightness of future for themselves and they could almost re-recruit their position to somebody else and promote the fact that I was there to help people so uh, work to your strengths absolutely have a have a system that appraises people and and uses a, um, a celebratory um, quarterly planning session or monthly social or whatever it is that you do to up your fun factor and enjoy the process of being a leader have a great week <laughs>